You're listening to the Anesthesia Patient Safety Podcast, the official podcast of the Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation. We're bringing you the very best from the APSF newsletter and website, as well as the latest information in perioperative patient safety. Thanks for joining us. Patient Safety Podcast. My name is Allie Bechtel, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us for another show. Today, we are going to return to one of my favorite sections of the APSF newsletter, the rapid response to questions from our readers. Have you ever had a question or concern about your anesthesia equipment or a device? You may find your answer in the rapid response to questions from our readers column. And if the answer is not there, we hope that you will consider submitting your inquiry for a future APSF newsletter. I will include a link to the guide for authors in the show notes. This column was created in order to enable relatively quick communication of technology-related safety concerns from anesthesia professionals who are using the technology for patient care, with input and resources from manufacturers and industry representatives. The goal is to unite clinicians and industry representatives to discuss safety challenges and bring about changes when needed to improve patient safety. Before we dive into today's episode, we'd like to recognize Massimo, a major corporate supporter of APSF. Massimo has generously provided unrestricted support as well as research and educational grants to further our vision that no one shall be harmed by anesthesia care. Thank you, Massimo. We wouldn't be able to do all that we do without you. I know you are all excited for the big reveal about what rapid response we will be discussing today although the title of the show may have given it away. So go ahead and click on the Patient Safety Resources heading on the APSF website. Third one down is Rapid Response, and the article is right at the top. Today, we will be reviewing the article, Inability to Retract Guidewire from Catheter During Lumbar CSF Drain Placement for TVAR Surgery, which was published online on September 9th of 2020. This article was submitted by Raza, Orion, Kalani, and Awad. Let's get into the summary. Lumbar drain placement and cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF, drainage may be used to help prevent spinal cord ischemia during surgeries or procedures on the thoracic aorta, including open repair of descending thoracic aortic aneurysm or a thoracic endovascular aortic repair, or TVAR, procedure. Have you placed a lumbar drain as part of your anesthesia practice? This critical drain placement may involve placement of a catheter that contains a guide wire to facilitate placement. However, the guide wire may also lead to complications, such as preventing placement of the lumbar drain and delaying surgery. This rapid response article seeks to evaluate the guide wire that is found in the lumbar drain kits, including the design and composition as well as the rationale for using a guide wire for placement. The authors present a case of a patient undergoing a TVAR procedure who required lumbar drain placement when the guide wire that was included in the lumbar drain could not be retracted from the catheter. Before we get to the case, let's learn more about spinal cord injury during thoracic aortic aneurysm surgery. Patients undergoing repair of thoracic aortic aneurysms are at risk for ischemia to the spinal cord with resultant transient or permanent paresis or paralysis. 
One of the goals for improved patient safety during these procedures is to optimize spinal cord perfusion pressure. Spinal cord perfusion pressure is equal to the mean arterial blood pressure minus the intraspinal or CSF pressure, which can be measured after their lumbar drain is placed. There are two ways to increase spinal cord perfusion pressure, including increasing the mean arterial blood pressure and decreasing the CSF pressure, which can decrease the risk for paralysis. There are American and European guidelines that recommend placement of a lumbar drain for spinal cord protection in order to monitor CSF pressure and drain CSF fluid when necessary to decrease CSF pressure for at least 48 hours for patients who have an open or endovascular thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysm repair. I will include the references in the show notes as well. So how is a lumbar drain placed? There are lumbar drain kits, including the Integra Hermetic Lumbar Catheter Closed Tip Kit used by the authors at their institution. There is a picture of the kit on our website included in this article. Once the spinal space is accessed by the appropriate size TUI, the catheter can be advanced through the TUI needle and into the spinal space. Placement of the CSF catheter may be performed with a guide wire that is inserted into the catheter to help advance the catheter and give the operator who is advancing the guide wire a tactile response to any resistance, which may indicate an obstruction. The guide wire is made up of a nitinol or steel solid core wire with nitinol preferred since it is more flexible and able to return to its original shape. Some guide wires may also have a coiled or braided wire around the core to help prevent kinking and increase flexibility. Guide wire construction may involve differences in the following, tip shape, flexibility, torque, and steerability. The guide wire tip shape may be angled, straight, or a J-curve. After you open the lumbar drain kit, you may find a guide wire inside to help facilitate placement. In the lumbar drain kit used by the authors, there is a straight guide wire included, which the authors used during placement of the lumbar drain. Unfortunately, the guide wire was unable to be removed following placement of the catheter. Let's take a closer look at this case. The authors report that a 70-year-old woman presented for a T-bar. Before induction, the lumbar drain was placed for CSF drainage and spinal cord protection. The Integra Hermetic Lumbar Catheter Closed-Tip Kit was used. Sterility was maintained as the catheter and guide wire were flushed and the guide wire was placed through the catheter. The patient was in the sitting position and skin was topicalized with 1% lidocaine. Then, a 2E spinal needle was placed into the subarachnoid space between the 3rd and 4th lumbar vertebrae with appropriate CSF flow. The next step involved uneventful placement of the catheter with the guide wire through the spinal needle to a depth of 15 centimeters without resistance, after which the 2E needle was removed. Then, with the catheter held in place at the insertion site, the guide wire was, was pulled back, but it failed to retract. Gentle traction was attempted along with increased force, but the guide wire could not be removed. The team then decided to remove the catheter with the guide wire, and this occurred without resistance. The team inspected the catheter and wire and found a lengthwise contraction of the catheter along the wire without any shearing of the catheter. The guide wire tip was still in the appropriate place at the catheter's proximal end. 
At the distal end, there was excess wire observed, and even with significant effort, the authors were unable to remove the wire from the catheter. The patient tolerated the procedure well, but developed a headache due to loss of CSF through the chewy needle during the attempted lumbar drain placement. Her surgery and lumbar drain placement were delayed for three days. The subsequent successful lumbar drain placement was performed using fluoroscopy and the radiofocus glide wire, guide wire, after which the patient underwent the TVAR procedure and was later discharged home from the hospital. This case brings up an important consideration. Catheter contraction along a guide wire, which is not a common event, although you can find case reports of catheter shearing in the literature. However, the risk factors for catheter shearing may be applicable to catheter contraction as well, and include the following. Catheter retraction through the needle during placement, faulty guide wire use, and excessive force for catheter removal. The authors note that the culprit in this case is likely the proximal end of the catheter and guide wire, which failed to separate during guide wire retraction, even though the catheter and wire were flushed appropriately prior to placement. Thus, it was the attempted retraction of the guide wire which caused the catheter contraction. There was a 2010 report involving the same lumbar drain kit with a similar event. The authors conclude that this event is due to the guide wire in the kit, especially because the same catheter was used with a different guide wire, the hydrophilic radiofocus glide wire with a floppy J-tip and coaxial wrapping during the patient's successful lumbar drain placement. The authors leave us with a call to action for additional research to determine the optimal guide wire used for lumbar drain placement to prevent similar adverse events in the future. Before we wrap up for today, I want to talk about an article from our October 2020 APSF newsletter, Rapid Response and the APSF Mission, by Jeffrey Feldman, the chair of the APSF Committee on Technology. The article opens by looking back to the very first article in the Rapid Response column entitled, Misplaced Valves Poses Potential Hazard, by James Berry and Steve Blanks which revealed an unexpected event of high airway pressures as a result of an occluded exhaust line from the scavenging system. Further investigation revealed that the relief valve in the active scavenging system was actually a relief valve that was supposed to be used for the passive scavenging system, according to the Datex Omeda, and as a result of the inquiry, the company changed their assembly process so that this wouldn't happen again. Even from the very beginning, the rapid response column established a collaboration between anesthesia professionals and anesthesia equipment manufacturers in order to identify a problem, work towards a solution, and provide the information in the APSF publication with its expansive anesthesia professionals' readership. So where did the APSF get the idea for the rapid response column? It was created by Michael Olympio and Robert Morell. The original column name was Dear Sirs, which stood for Safety Information Response System, and thus the collaboration between industry and anesthesia professionals was forged. Listeners of this podcast may know that I love top 10 lists, but today we are going to provide a supersized list. So without further ado, I give you the top 25 rapid response articles on the APSF.org website according to page views. So here we go. Number one, how do flow sensors work? Number two, humidity levels in the OR. 
Number three, potential burn hazard from General Electric MRIs. Number four, reusable anesthesia breathing circuits considered. Number five, not all manifolds are the same. Lessons in intravenous drug administration. Number six, Drager Fabius leak test questioned. Number seven, safety issues with gas scavenging system in GE Advance and GE Aspire anesthesia machines. Number eight, measurement of expiratory limb circuit pressure, a potential anesthesia machine safety issue. Number nine, why do the Gauss lines matter? Number 10, line isolation still important. Number 11, volatile anesthetic unintentionally not delivered. Number 12, PEA arrest during transport of a ventilated patient due to a clogged respiratory filter on Ambu bag. Number 13, reader questions why some anesthesia machines allow O2 flow below basal metabolic needs. Number 14, LTA tip breaks in patient's airway. Number 15, airway topicalization atomizer parts break off in patient's airway. Number 16, an incident of Glidescope stat cover failure. Number 17, nitrogen contamination of operating room oxygen pipeline. Number 18, no read errors related to pre-filled syringes. Number 19, perils and pitfalls with the rapid infuser catheter, Rick. Number 20, O2 blender causes concern. Number 21, descending bellows drives question. Number 22, defective pediatric endotracheal tubes. Number 23, Burette malpositioned shutoff valve could lead to venous air embolism. Number 24, defective central venous catheter introducer needle. And number 25, monitoring gaps. Numbers 25 and 12 may sound familiar because we have talked about them on this podcast earlier for episode 8 when we discussed monitoring gaps and episode 19 when we discussed the clogged respiratory filter on the Ambu bag. And be sure to check back in the future because we will be covering more of these important topics related to anesthesia patient safety. That's all the time we have for today. If you have any questions or comments from today's show, please email us at podcast at APSF.org. Visit APSF.org for detailed information and check out the show notes for links to all the topics we discussed today. Are you on Facebook? The APSF is on Facebook, too. Head over there and like our page and follow along with us for more anesthesia patient safety related posts. Until next time, stay vigilant so that no one shall be harmed by anesthesia care.